Good morning, Redemption. Uh, my name is Josh Butler. I'm one of your pastors, and it is great to be here together this morning. So I got a phone call from someone at church uh, saying that my friend, they said, just tried to commit suicide. It's very tragic. And they said, he's not a believer, but he's open to prayer. Would you pray with him? I said, definitely, of course. And so while praying, I saw uh, this image. And this is over the phone. You know, so we're talking on the phone, we're praying. And I saw this image of an ocean with these chaotic waves just crashing into each other like a storm with turbulence. And uh, then suddenly there came this calming wind that began to calm the waves. And the waves got peaceful and quieted them down. It brought stillness. And then this island kind of rose up out of the ocean. And uh, this island that came up began to sprout up like there was palm tree and suddenly it began bursting with life and grass and green grass and other things began to grow and there was tropical fruit and, and all those kind of things on the island. And so I, I shared with this person over the phone what I thought it meant with him. I'm like, hey, I get the sense that uh, God might be saying like who you are has felt submerged and overwhelmed lately, drowning beneath the chaotic circumstances of your life. And yet God wants his spirit, he wants to bring you calm and peace, like that wind calming down the chaotic ocean, settling down those circumstances to bring forth who God made you to be. Uh, up from the waters like that island to bring life and flourishing and abundance in your life again. And I asked him, like, hey, does that resonate with you? And complete quiet. And so I'm like, uh-oh, did I offend him? Was that too weird? Like, I was freaking him out, did he walk away? Um, but then I hear sobbing on the other end of the line. And I'm like, are you okay? And he explains, he's like, you don't know me. There's no way you would have known this. But for the last few years, I have been working on this novel. It has been my passion project. I think I've been pouring my whole life this novel this last few years. And it is about an island. Like, that's literally the title of the novel is The Island, right? And, and a lot of that imagery that you're getting, it's like imagery that's actually in this novel thing that I've been writing. He goes, man, I just feel right now that, like God sees me, that God knows me. Like, more than you knew, Josh, like that was a word from God for me. And I feel like God is calling me to draw close to him, to actually turn to him in this season. And so we spoke and we prayed more together, but God spoke a word that moved him. A word that moved him from chaos to peace, from the brink of suicide to salvation, from feeling isolated and alone to being embraced and known by God and his people. We are talking today about listening to the Spirit. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you have your Bible and you want to open up and turn there. But 1 Corinthians 14, uh, and kind of like with this guy, like I was trying to listen to the Spirit, to be attentive to like, man, Jesus, is there anything that you want to say, anything you want to reveal that you would have for this person? Because you know him better than I do. You can minister better than I can. Now, the biblical word for this is prophecy, like the idea of uh, God giving you a word that's for someone else. And now I know that word prophecy, as soon as that comes up, that can freak some of us out, like, uh-oh, it's about to get weird right in here. And so before we jump in, I want to give a few disclaimers. Uh, first, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the last couple messages. Uh, we're in a word and spirit season going, how do we go deeper in life with you, God, through the power of your word and the presence of your spirit? And some of those last few messages, I think, can give some framing, some context, some could maybe address some misconceptions or alleviate some potential concerns there. Uh, the second disclaimer here would be to say, we're not changing and starting something new 
today. So much as giving a healthy foundation for something that has been existing here for a long time. Like this is not something brand spanking new here. Uh, for example, our preaching team regularly, when we are preparing our sermons, our messages together, we do listening prayer in preparation for Sunday and asking God, what do you want to say to your people this week? Is there something specific, the situations people are going through that you want to apply this to? And what was crazy was, as we began doing this together as a team a while back, we all noticed suddenly the spike in after the service, people like, oh my gosh, like how did you know? Like you spoke directly to my, this thing that's happened to this thing that I'm in, and it's kind of like, I, I didn't, but God did, apparently, right? So, uh, and if you have met with me or Holly or Crawford or Jake or others, you'll find we often do listening prayer uh, that we, you know, if you come with someone, we would say, hey, well, let's, let's bring that before the Lord and let's seek to listen. And um, now we call it listening prayer because we know that word prophecy can kind of freak some people out, right? So we sort of sneak it in, we call it listening prayer. Uh, but on the other side, if it's like, oh my gosh, God really spoke, it's like, oh yeah, he just experienced prophecy, right? <laughs> bring it in on the other end. Uh, and today we want to give a healthy biblical foundation for that, going, well, what does God's word have to say about that, right? What does scripture have to say? Third and final disclaimer would be this, that we believe here that gifts like prophecy or what some would call like the sign gifts, that these are secondary open-handed issues. Meaning if you are here and you are a cessationist, meaning someone who believes that those kind of gifts have ceased for today, you are welcome here right? Uh, that is not just my opinion. This is explicit in our redemption membership packet, that we believe this to be an open-handed issue, which means that we can lovingly debate over, disagree over, and yet not need to divide over such things, because we are all welcome here in the family of God. Uh, but for those of us who are not cessationists, uh, we want to provide some guidance this morning on what a healthy experience of and even pursuit of prophecy can look like. Listening to the Spirit, it has played a powerful role in my life personally and for many of us here, and I believe that it can in your life too. And I want to go in today asking, what if we saw more island stories, right? Like stories of God applying the universal truths of his word to the unique, particular circumstances of our lives as his people by the power of his Spirit in a way that built us up, in a way that we were all kind of going, man, God is truly among us. So... That said, let's jump in, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. We read, Pursue love and earnestly desire, or some translations say eagerly desire, the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. All right, let's stop there for now. So we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts, Paul says, and especially prophecy. Now that phrase, eagerly desire, it's actually one word in Greek, it's the word zelote, and it's the same root as the word like zealous or jealous. And so Paul is saying you should be zealous for prophecy, words from God like this. Uh, the image in Greek for this word it actually comes from the image of bubbling over, boiling over. So if you think of like your pot of hot water on the stove and get so hot the bubbles start boiling over the side, Paul is saying that's how we should be about the spiritual gifts, that we would be bubbling over, burning over with a zeal and a desire to hear from God, to know God's word, his voice in our lives. And so Paul is advising a posture here, not of apathy, not of passive resignation, but of active pursuit of the Spirit's gifts in our lives. 
Now, why especially prophecy? Paul says uh, all the spiritual gifts, but especially prophecy. What is it about this one? I think in order to understand this emphasis Paul gives on prophecy, it's helpful to frame this within the broader, how prophecy fits in the broader biblical story. So what I want to do right now is if you'll let me go theology nerd for a few minutes and give us kind of a quick crash course on prophecy in the Bible, all right? So let's start in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, we find that God is a speaking God who speaks creation into existence through his word and his spirit. And so Genesis 1, we read that the spirit is hovering over the deep like a catcher's mitt, ready to receive the incoming word of God. And then God speaks. He says, let there be light, let there be life, let there be land, let there be end. And there was, and there was, and there was. So God's word is powerful. God speaks all creation to existence through his word and in his spirit. Psalm 33, 6 puts it this way, saying, uh, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath or spirit, same word in, in, in Hebrew, uh, the word ruach, by the breath or spirit of his mouth, all their starry host. So Psalmist is saying, God's word and his spirit or his breath, they are powerful. They are agents of creation. They create worlds, bringing order, beauty, and life together, God's word and spirit. All right, well, next pit stop here in our crash course, Moses. Moses is the first prophet in the biblical story. The Holy Spirit is upon him to bring God's word to the people. And there's a fascinating story in Numbers chapter 11 where Moses and the 70 elders, they're gathered together before the Lord. And uh, verse 25, we read that the Lord, he took some of the spirit that was on Moses and he put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, what did they do? They prophesied. So picture here is that God has taken some of the spirit upon Moses. He's putting it on the elders, the leaders, and they start prophesying too. And only there's two of the elders who stayed back at the camp and they start prophesying too, but the people there don't have the context. And so one of the guys there is like, I don't know what's going on. And so he goes running up to Moses, kind of scared and going, hey, Moses, uh, we got these two guys over here who are prophesying these elders. You're the prophet. This is challenging your authority, your position. You need to get them to stop. And I love Moses' response here. Moses says in verse 29, he says, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And so I love that. Moses is going, don't be jealous for me, be zealous for God. Moses eagerly desires that all God's people would prophesy. He eagerly desires this gift, not just for himself, but for all of God's people through the power of the spirit. Okay, so let's keep going. Jeremiah and Ezekiel, later, these are also uh, two major prophets, and they also eagerly desire this, this coming to the Spirit for God's people. And they both look forward to this day when God will not only put his Spirit upon some of his people, but rather within all of his people. So Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 26 to 27, uh, Ezekiel says this, he puts it this way, saying, God says through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God's going, the old covenant was not enough. We need a new covenant. And in this new covenant, my spirit, I will put within you to renew your heart, your affections, your desires, turning that heart of stone into a heart of flesh to love and know and hear and obey and follow God in all the fullness of our lives. So Jeremiah and Ezekiel eagerly desire, like Moses, for God to put his spirit within you. And when he does, the prophet Joel 
foresaw what this new covenant would entail. He saw that coming day when God says in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 29, God says, a day is coming, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. So here, Joel is going, hey, when the Spirit is poured out, the emphasis here is on prophecy and dreams and visions. Notice again, it's not just a select few, but it is all types of people now amongst God's people who have access to the Spirit and the works of God. And so we read here, sons and daughters, male and female, it is not sexist. We read old and young, it is not ageist. We read servants or slaves, it is not classist. Like Joel is going, the Spirit of God and the works of the Spirit are for male and female, young and old, high and low, rich and poor. This is Moses' dream come true that Joel is envisioning, where all God's people will be able to experience this pouring out of the Spirit. And it will empower visions and dreams and prophecy. All right, you guys hanging in there? All right, here we go. One last pit stop on this crash course. Now we go to Acts chapter two. And in Acts chapter two, Jesus has just conquered sin, death, and the grave. He's just gone to the cross. He's risen again. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now it is Pentecost. And Jesus told his disciples, hey, wait in Jerusalem. I'm gonna go up, ascend to my Father, and I'm gonna pour out my spirit. And when he does, in Acts chapter two, verse four, Jesus pours out his spirit upon them. And we read, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so Jesus pours out his spirit and they begin speaking in these other languages. There's people from uh, all these other nations gathered there for the festival of Pentecost. They start hearing the gospel in their own language and they start going, dude, what is going on? How are these guys speaking our language? How are we hearing it in our language? And guess where Peter goes to explain what's happening Joel chapter two, he quotes Joel and says this. He says, uh, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, that those days are coming when uh, sons and daughters will prophesy and young and old, they'll see visions and dreams. He's going, that day that we were all waiting for is here, where God is pouring out his spirit on all types of people, on all flesh. What Peter is saying here is that what Moses eagerly desired what Jeremiah and Ezekiel eagerly desired, what, what Joel eagerly desired, that day is here. That what Moses eagerly desired, where all God's people would have access to prophecy, because we all have access to the Spirit of God in that deep internal way, that day is here. What Ezekiel and Jeremiah longed for, where the Spirit would not only rest upon some, but within all of God's people, that day is here. What Joel longed for and looked for that day when not just some, but all types of people, men and women, young and old, that they would have access. Joel is going, that, or Peter is saying, that day is here. So now here is my question for us this morning is, if Moses and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Joel and Peter and Paul all eagerly desired this day with these gifts, do you? Do I? Do we? Do we eagerly desire this the spiritual gifts, both the gift of the Spirit within you and the gifts of the Spirit through you in order to build up the people of God. Uh, I want you to imagine this Christmas, if you will, right? All right, so it's Christmas morning and um, 
you got the tree, you got the gifts around the tree and the whole thing. And, and uh, maybe you wake up early. If, if you got kids, like I got kids, I, I love to get up early, get up before them so I can go down because I, I want to see their faces when they come running out and, you know, all the mayhem ensues. And so you wake up early, you go, and then you see, though, your kids wake up and they kind of come running down, but they run right by the tree. And they go kind of playing with some of their old toys around the corner, right? A little time goes by, and later we go to the table, kind of eat Christmas meal, and that's great. And then a little later, it's like stories around the fireplace, or whatever your traditions are, you do. But you're kind of going like, all right, it's weird, because it's been Christmas Day here, and my kids aren't opening the gifts. That's weird. Like, why don't they want to open up the gifts, right? And then the next day, you kind of wait, and uh, you know, a, a few days go by, and then a few months go by, and it's like six months later, and the gifts are still sitting unopened around the tree. And I think... We're kind of going, what is going on? Why don't my kids want to open the gift? Well, could it be that your heavenly father has gifts that you've left unopened, right? Could it be that Jesus came at Christmas, the incarnation, his coming into the world to give and bring you gifts, to bring us gifts as his people? But are there some that are still sitting in the box, in the wrapping paper under the tree? Does the spirit potentially have more for you that you've left unopened. Paul says that we should be like a kid at Christmas. We should eagerly desire these gifts. They're good gifts of the Father. And he says, especially prophecy, which he means, he's saying that prophecy is kind of like that big gift, the big box kind of over in the corner, right? Like the BMX bike that's wrapped in the whatever, all, all the clunky paper. And you can kind of tell what it is. You guys like, this is that, this is like the big one over there. And so why don't we want to open it? Why don't we eagerly desire these gifts? Well, I think there are some understandable reasons. Like many of us have had bad experiences where we have seen some of these types of gifts misused. Right? And so uh, I want to name three in particular that come to mind. Uh, one is the manipulative use of a gift like this, right? Where this is someone kind of coming going, man, God told me that you're going to marry me. Or God told me that you got to do what I say, basically, right? Where it can feel like this power play where I'm using God language to kind of justify something that I actually want. I'm just trying to put that weight on you. And that just feels like, blah, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That doesn't feel right, right? So we've experienced it times manipulatively. Uh, a second bad experience, we've also seen it used, uh, people be wrong. Right? People use wrongly. So back in 2020, I remember a national presidential election, and there were people prophesying who was going to win the election, and they were wrong. Right? Like, like there were people who were saying, and kind of even some famous figures, whatever, like someone was going, hey, the word of the Lord, whatever, and uh, they were wrong, right? And so you see that, and you're kind of going, man, is this just subjective? It just seems like this person kind of projecting their things. Um, and then a third challenge, a bad experience, I think can be kind of judgmental, right? Like I've seen, uh, at times, folks like, man, have a word where it's like, God says that all these bad things are happening in your life because he hates you and he's angry with you and da-da-da. You're just going like, blah, you know? That doesn't sound like a good gift, right? And these things can lead us to go, man, this gift doesn't really look that great, you know? Like, it's kind of like, man, we maybe first approached it with some openness, some uh, enthusiasm, some anticipation, thinking that we might be getting, like, the Red Rider, double carbine, 22 barrel action, whatever, you know, BB gun. But then we open it up and instead it was this, right? Like the pink bunny suit, right? And you're kind of going like, man, I thought this gift, Paul said it was going to be this good gift and they were all stoked about it, but man, it actually looks like this bunny suit that it's actually kind of 
awkward. And yeah, I know Aunt Clara, like she meant well, but this actually is not something I really want to wear or have around. It's a bit embarrassing. And so can we just kind of put that back in the box? And I'm not going to open up those gifts that look like they might be that bunny suit again. We can be understandably hesitant around gifts like prophecy when we've opened it up and found the bunny suit. But here would be my encouragement to us was going, that was not the gift of the father. That was the gift of your weird Aunt Clara, all right? <laughs> that was the gift of your weird Aunt Clara. That some of those, when we've seen people use some of these things like manipulatively or wrongly or judgmentally and all, going, hey, that's not God, your heavenly father with the good gifts he wants to give you. That's some of the weird aunts and uncles in the church family that, I don't know, man, yeah, things, they went south, right? But here is my encouragement is that the Father gives good gifts, right? Our Heavenly Father gives good gifts. And I believe some healthy teaching can help us avoid some of the pitfalls and to discern when it's Aunt Clara and when it's Jesus, right? When it's our Heavenly Father. And you can pray boldly when you remember where we are at in the story, right? I love what Peter is saying is the reason this stuff is happening now is because Christ has gone to the grave, has risen again, and is at the right hand of the Father. Like, we need to remember where we're at in the story of God. This is like Mordor has been defeated. Jesus has accomplished the victory. And so sometimes when I pray, one of the things I like to do is uh, when, I, when, I, when I open is uh, to pray something like, man, Jesus, you are at the right hand of the Father. You have been given all authority in heaven on earth. You have given us your spirit. You are here. You are present. And what I'm doing is just seeking to remind myself of where we're at in the story. Remind ourselves of reality that Jesus is ascended on high and Ephesians says he loves to give good gifts. Like Jesus gives good gifts to his people. Okay, so Paul says we should eagerly desire these good gifts. And a good question to ask is, what are the gifts for? And particularly for prophecy, what is the goal? What is the purpose of this gift? Well, Paul goes on to explain that by contrasting it with tongues. And so let's go on in chapter 14, verse 2. read. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. The purpose of prophecy is to build up the church, Paul says. The goal here is to build up. Paul's going, hey, the purpose or the goal here, it's not to manipulate by using God language to get your way. Uh, It's not to be judgmental and to tear people down. No, rather, the goal here is to build up the body of Christ, the people of God. Paul says the purpose of prophecy is to build up. He says in verse 3 here that it it is for upbuilding, encouragement, and and consolation. Now, that word upbuilding, or some translations say edify, it is a construction word. In the original language, it's oikodomeo, meaning Oiko means house, and domeo means build. So it's like literally to build up a house. So what Paul is saying is the purpose of prophecy is to build up a house, the household of God, the people of God. Even that word edify in English, think about that, is the same root as the word edifice, like of a building. The goal of edifying is to build up the edifice, the foundation of a place in which to live. 
Paul contrasts prophecy here with tongues as well. Now, uh, we talked about tongues at our last First Wednesday. That's online if you want to go you know, dig into that. Like, we got more uh, thoughts and all there. But the point here is that Paul is contrasting tongues and prophecy, saying the one, if there's no interpreter, the tongue, he says in verse 4, that person is only building up himself. But with prophecy, it builds up the church. The point here is that the prophecy, the, the, the point here is that it's to build up the household of God, the people of God. Now, the goal of prophecy, this means it's not just to be super spiritual and, uh, or for your own self-enhancement. I think one of the challenges that we can face in our culture today is when we talk about spiritual practices, right, uh, we tend to think about them as self kind of self-enhancement type techniques, right? You think of things like, like mindfulness or meditation or things today, and whatever you think of those, the goal often in our culture, it's framed, here's a way to improve yourself, to kind of enhance yourself. What we have to recognize, though, is that uh, spiritual gifts and adjustment are about the opposite. It's not about building up yourself, it's about building up others. Primarily, Paul says, hey, the goal of prophecy is actually to build up the body of Christ. We see this earlier in 1 Corinthians, where uh, in chapter 12, John Crawford did a great sermon on this a few weeks back on listening community, talking about how the spiritual gifts are for building up the body of Christ. Uh, and then in chapter 13 is the famous love chapter that we all read, love to read at weddings, right? Like love pursues all things, knows all things, hopes all things, right? Uh, but the context there is spiritual gifts and the building up of the body of Christ. And now here in chapter 14, Paul opens saying, pursue love by eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts. Saying the goal in all this is to pursue love, to, as a way to love one another. That word pursue means to like aggressively hunt down, like a hunter hunting down its prey. And so Paul says, hey, as a community here at Redemption Tempe, we should be hunting down love. And one of the ways to hunt down love is to see, Holy Spirit, how might you want to use me to build up other people in the body of Christ? And the goal is for building up. So the goal, the purpose of prophecy is to build up the church. I was at a prayer gathering here in Phoenix. And so um, I remember it was kind of a big home, but in this living room. And so I was in this room, I was praying and, and with these folks. And while I was praying, there was a guy up in front of me, little ways, um, from Africa. And, and while I was praying, I just had this image. It was almost like, like x-ray, like inside of his chest. It was like a, uh, like a car part, it looked like, like a, um, uh, like a broken car part that was dripping like oil, right? Like in your engine kind of thing. I'm like, oh, that's weird. What's, what's going on there? And I, I just felt this sense or encouragement. I kind of, okay, God, what does that mean? And I, I came up and I kind of tapped him on the shoulder. I'm like, hey, this might sound weird, might sound crazy, but I, while, while we were praying, I just had this image of this kind of thing, you know, broken part inside of you. And, and I felt like maybe, uh, have you by chance have any internal organ trouble, like some trouble with um, internally in your chest? And the dude like turns and looks at me with his jaw to the floor like, you know, like, how did you know? He said, I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, how did you know? And he goes, basically, for the last uh, couple of years, I think it's five or six years now, I've been having this growing condition, and we haven't been able to explain it, figure out what's going on. The doctors haven't been able to know exactly what's going on, uh, but my wife has been concerned. I've been concerned. What if something happens to me and, like, for my kids? And it's been just this debilitating condition inside my chest and this regular pain. And so I said, well, hey, I think God would like uh, me to pray with you. And so called a few other people around, like his friend, and a few others were with him. And I uh, was like, is it okay if we lay hands on you? Yes, yeah, so we laid hands. We prayed for him. And while praying, it was strange, but I felt like this warmth in my hand. And he said as well, he felt something 
happening inside. And afterwards, he felt better. He felt peace, he said. So anyways, he goes back to Africa. And about six months later, I'm out on the town. And I bump into his friend that he was there with. And I'm like, hey, how's the guy, the dude, Africa, that we, you know, we prayed with and all that. And he's like, dude, you'll never believe Like, God healed him, man. He went back. He went back to the doctor. Like, he, the pain hasn't come back. The doctors are like, dude, you're fine. There's nothing uh, wrong. Your condition is gone. God healed him. But he goes on after that to explain. He says, you didn't know this, but he is actually a high-ranking leader in that region of Africa. He's a leader in the Roman Catholic Church who oversees all of the education and schools from multiple countries in that region. And many anticipate that he's set up to be the next bishop for that region in Africa. And you also didn't know this, but he doesn't like Protestants, or at least he didn't, right? <laughs> like, like, like he didn't want to go to that prayer gathering that night, but the only reason he was there because he was staying at me with my house. And I said, hey, come. And I convinced him to come, even though they didn't want to. And then he came and God healed him through a Protestant, right? <laughs> and going, and this guy's going, I think God was doing more there than you realize. I think that this could have impact, like shaping kind of the future in that region of Africa through his leadership in the years to come. And I was like, hallelujah, go God, right? But the bigger picture here, God was building up his church through things like prophecy and through things like healing. God was building up his church, both building up him as a member of the body of Christ, as an individual seen in his condition, but also bigger picture, I believe, building up the people of God by tearing down walls to experience and encounter Jesus together, potentially impacting the global church for decades to come. And like God's end game, Jesus's end game is to build up his church. It's to build up his people. And so our goal in listening prayer in prophecy is to build up one another as the people of God. The goal is not to be super spiritual. It's not to perform, to try and prove anything, whether to God or others about how spiritual you are. No, the goal, Jesus wants to build up his people through you. And prophecy is one way, one of many ways that he can do that. Jesus wants to build up Redemption Tempe, to build up his church. We are a community under construction that God is building. And we gather before a God who is a speaking God, who spoke all creation into existence and continues to speak through his word and in his spirit to build us up as his people. The Holy Spirit wants to strengthen and reinforce your edifice. Right? Uh, one way he can do that is through applying the universal truths of God's word through the presence and power of his spirit to apply to the unique and particular lives and circumstances of our lives as his people with prophecy. And so Jesus' words here are like bricks. They build up his people through the spirit of God. So what's our goal in, in all this? You know, uh, someone asked a while back and we were processing through this going, hey man, the big picture, you know, I think would be an amazing goal is uh, let's say out in front after, you know, someone comes and they're like, uh, it comes up to you and they're like, man, I'm going through this hard time and here's, here's what's happening. Here's one of our goals as far as our culture at Redemption Tempe, that our first response would not just be like, well, hey, let's grab coffee this week and let me hear about it. No, that's wrong or bad. That our first response would actually be, dude, can I pray for you? Can we bring that before Jesus? Can we be a people who bring where we're at before God going, man, I, I might be able to empathize and listen and have a few things, but the Lord of the universe can actually see and know you and what if we brought that before him? And what if he had something to say? And maybe he doesn't, maybe he does. But what if we came in a posture that we had a culture and a posture of prayerful expectation upon Jesus, our Lord, in his presence with us? And what this 
goal means of building up, it means uh, it confronts some of the bunny suit gifts, right? What this means is to be healthy here, don't be the angry street preacher, right? Like, don't be judgmental. That sometimes we hear the word prophecy and we think of these guys who are kind of like prophesying, quote unquote, how God hates everyone who's not like them. But as we've seen, New Testament prophecy, it's not about being judgmental towards those outside the faith as it is rather about building up those inside the faith. Don't use it to tear down, but rather to build up. Another pro tip, don't try and predict the lottery, right? Like the lottery ticket, right? Some people hear prophecy and they think it's all about predicting the future, like foretelling what's gonna happen so I can predict the winning numbers and win. And yet I've found that more often than not, Prophecy is about the past and the present, right? That more often it's about the past, like what happened to you, that abuse that you endured, the trauma that you went through, and those lies that the enemy has tried to speak into your life about it. You're in Jesus, the Lord of the universe, go, no, that's not true, and speaking truth that sets you free. Or not just about the past, sometimes it's about the present of the circumstances in your life where you just, maybe you feel like God is distant and absent and far away and uh, like the guy with the island, you know, and you encounter this word that's like, oh, God sees me. He knows my story. He's with me in the depths of my condition. And sometimes, though, you know, that's the past and the present. Sometimes it is about the future, though. I've had a number of powerful words in my life about the future, but what I've found is that they are often not so much about prediction as rather preparation right? Like they're not so much about uh, directional, like, hey, go do all this stuff, as rather God going, hey, here's something that I'm doing that, that's coming. How should you prepare yourself now to be ready for that when it arrives, right? What kind of work do we need to do in our own formation and character to cultivate to be ready? Okay, so the goal is building up. And uh, another question that we should ask here is, well, okay, should we just take prophecy at face value, right? Like if someone comes up to you and is like, hey, God told me you need to quit your job and leave your family and move to the North Pole, right? Should you just do it? No. <laughs> a little later in this passage, in verse 29, I love that Paul says that, um, the, that we should weigh prophecy. These gifts should be weighed. Uh, but I love even more the way he puts it. He goes in a little more detail in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20 to 21. So I want to go there. And I give us a little more detail with some healthy wisdom on this. And he says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Paul says here that we need to test and discern. We need to test and discern. Paul's saying here there's two dangers. On the one hand, there's the danger of despising prophecy. Like, hey, don't despise it, he's going. And we've been talking about that, right? Like if you're despising it, then you're not eagerly desiring it, right? But he goes, there's another danger on the other side. The other danger on the other side is maybe you don't despise it, but, but if you don't test it, right? Like that's a problem as well. That we need to test and discern. Paul is saying, don't just uncritically accept anything that anyone tells you in the name of the Lord, right? Paul's saying, yeah, don't despise it, but also don't be naive. Don't take it at face value. You, you gotta test and discern. If you were here uh, week number one, Jim and I, we talked about uh, week one of this series a few weeks ago. Jim and I talked about kind of the word and spirit spectrum. And on the one hand, there was kind of the danger of word without spirit. And the danger there could be that we despise things that spirit might wanna do in us. But on the other hand, we talked about dangers of the spirit without word. And there could be, man, it's just unrooted and can get a little crazy. And it's like, dude, it's not rooted or grounded in God's word and how he's revealed himself in scripture. And so we need to uh, test and discern against 
scripture and in community and with some healthy boundaries for, for doing so in a healthy way. And I believe there are three elements uh, to discern when it comes to prophecy, right? Three elements, the message, the meaning, and the response. Let me unpack each of those really quick. First is the message. So the message, this is like the word or image or phrase or sort of what's been revealed um, uh, where in the, uh, the guy from Africa, right? Like, okay, there's this image and it's like a car part and it's dripping oil, but what, is, what does that mean? I got the image, but the message, but I don't know what that means yet. And similarly, um, I think we see in the Bible where like Pharaoh or King Nebuchadnezzar, they have these dreams from God and they get the message, they see the imagery, but they don't know what it means. So they gotta go to Daniel or to Joseph and give, give us wisdom, help me discern, help me understand not just what the message is, but what the meaning is. Okay, and then you got the meaning. That's, what does this mean? It's with the, the guy from Africa. It's like, okay, this something going on in his chest, his internal organs, it seems like. Um, and similarly here, we find that uh, it's not like he literally had a car part in his chest, right? And similarly, sometimes the, uh, we don't, the meaning can be not necessarily overly literalistic, right? So like in Acts 16, Paul has this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, Paul, come here, come help us, come. And so Paul, he picks up and he goes to Macedonia. Uh, but when he gets to Macedonia, so the message is this man crying out, but the meaning, when he gets there, there's no dude. It's actually Lydia and a group of women having a Bible study. And they're the ones who have been waiting and longing for someone to come and help get this church in the area off the ground. And so uh, the message was this man crying out, but the meaning was Lydia and her crew crying out for him. And then finally, you've got the response. Okay, well, God, what should I do with this? Um, with the guy from Africa, it's like, well, let's pray for you, right? Uh, but with the uh, other scenarios, we see in Acts 21, a powerful story where a prophet named Agabus, we read, he comes to Paul and his, his crew, and he takes Paul's belt, and he ties up his hands and uh, his feet, and basically goes, hey, if Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, uh, you're going to get in prison, thrown in jail. And so he's got the message, it's like the belt wrapped around the hands, right? He's got the meaning, like if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get in prison. But the response, everyone goes, okay, so Paul, this means don't go, right? Like, like if you go, you're going to be in prison. And so God's given this word to say, don't go. But what we find, those folks are actually wrong as they pray about it. Paul goes, no, the response is, I should go prepared to be imprisoned, right? Like, I still need to go. And this is helping me prepare me for what I'm about to face. So the message, the meaning, and the response. These are three elements that would be, need to be discerned. And as we uh, do this, if you, you know, kind of, as, as we do this, there are times that I've gotten it wrong. Times where I've been like, um, on a, any three of these, right? I kind of going, okay, so I kind of have the sense or whatever, and does that resonate with you? And the person's like, nope. It's like, okay, <laughs> great, right? Uh, that's cool. Uh, but one challenge here I found at times for us can be um, that we're often thinking of Old Testament prophecy, and that can create some unhealthy weight of expectations as you step into this, right? So it's helpful to recognize that New Testament prophecy functions differently from Old Testament prophecy. Virtually everyone agrees on this on different sides of conversation, whatever, but uh, if you're interested in diving deeper on this, Wayne Grudem has a great discussion of this in his book, The Gift of Prophecy, uh, as does Sam Storms on his podcast, Exploring Word and Spirit. But here's just a few quick basics I think can be helpful for us. And uh, the first one is that in the Old Testament, prophecy is more, uh, it's restricted to an office. So if we want to throw that slide up. 
more of, uh, there's just the office of prophet, where it's a very few, select few, who are able to uh, do this, where in the New Testament, as we've seen, it's all the people of God potentially have access to this gift of the Spirit. Uh, another distinction here is in the Old Testament, there's a much higher weight of authority, right? Um, that the, if, if Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel says something, you better listen, right? Uh, now, in the New Testament, however, there's a much greater emphasis on the need for discernment and for testing, right? Uh, another, uh, some would argue, like Greedham would say, that like, actually the equivalent in the New Testament of an Old Testament prophet is actually an apostle. Right? The, the apostles had that level of authority in the New Testament that the prophets in the Old Testament are depicted as, and makes the case that's actually more of the equivalent or the parallel in the New Testament. Um, a third important distinction here is in the Old Testament, if you messed up, you got stoned. <laughs> or in the New Testament, you messed up, you're stoked, right? Like, you know, meaning, in the Old Testament, uh, if it was Isaiah or Jeremiah, Ezekiel, like this office and the weight that they were carrying for the king and for the nation's direction of like these massive things, there was this weight to it. And if someone was uh, prophesying falsely, that it, carry, it carried the weight, the punishment, the penalty potentially of the death sentence. In the New Testament, however, we see that there is a need for the community to weigh in, and it's not carrying that same level. And we see, actually, in the New Testament, the language of false prophets gets used not for people within the faith who are trying and maybe make a mistake or whatever. It's used for those outside, like false teachers, heretics, people who are intentionally and unrepentingly leading the people of God astray. That's the New Testament equivalent of a false prophet. So big picture here, uh, if there's a big point to kind of land here, is that New Testament prophecy does not carry the same level of authority as Old Testament prophecy, right? Which I find really helpful because it just loosens the, the, the weight in some ways. We're going, big picture here, as the people of God, all of us, we want to approach Jesus and go, man, what would you have for us to speak into our lives as your people today and build each other up? This also means that we need to test and discern again. We don't want to just accept things at face value, and we don't need to be naive. Uh, this confronts the danger we talked about earlier of someone being manipulative, right? Like when someone's going, hey, God told me. That's not giving space for the person to test or discern. It also confronts the concern, actually, is this subjective? Well, it could be, and that's why we need community and these other things to, to approach and pursue it well. All right, so... <clears throat> More practically, let's kind of move towards landing the plane here. How do we do this? How do we test and discern and pursue prophecy in a healthy way, listening prayer in a healthy way? I suggest we need guidelines and guardrails, right? Like you think about driving a car, and on the one hand, you need guardrails. Like guardrails keep you from going off the side of the road and causing, you know, get, getting hurt really bad. Uh, guidelines help you drive in a way where you're not crashing into other drivers, not swerving into oncoming traffic. Uh, and similarly, I believe we need some guardrails and guidelines as it comes to this. So let's get practical. When we test and discern, I believe our guardrails for this, uh, our first guardrail is Scripture, right? Going, does this line up with Scripture? Someone's going, hey, God, God someone actually told me once, like, hey, God told me to leave my wife and go be a missionary in another country. I'm like, God didn't say that. He's <laughs> like, well, how you know? You didn't hear. I'm like, Scripture, dude. Let's open it up. Like, like Scripture is a guardrail that can keep you going off the rails, uh, a second guardrail is community. I think if you're kind of questioning with someone, like, well, bring it before some trusted, mature people. I found it's helpful to have this not just be like your buddies who are going to tell you whatever you want to hear, but actually people who can speak into your life and challenge you in important ways. Uh, and the third guardrail, I would say kind of simply, is just 
Does this resonate with me, right? Uh, does this resonate with what God's doing in my life? I found when there have been a number of words over the years that have just, when it hits, it feels like a gong in my gut of just, yes, draws me closer to Jesus, brings freedom, brings clarity, brings whatever. And so I think that's a helpful one too, going, man, God is a good communicator. Uh, and so he brings, not, he brings conviction, not confusion, right? And so if it feels confusing or whatever, then feel free to just let it go, brush it aside, right? Feel free to let it go. This is the guardrails. That's sort of like if you're kind of receiving something, how do you sort of discern scripture, community, and does it resonate? Uh, next, let's move to guidelines. This is more for if you're looking to give a word to someone else, right? If you're listening and you feel like you get something, here's some guidelines so you don't swerve into oncoming traffic and hurt them really bad, right? Okay, so uh, let's do the don't and do list. And so the first one, don't say God told me, right? I don't, don't, don't be like, hey, God told me you're going to, you don't need to do like the, thus saith the Lord, right? Like, no, uh, I found it's way more helpful to say something like, I have a sense, or I was praying for you, I kind of got this image, I kind of think of this thing, does this resonate with you? Using looser language like that, and the reason, it's not just like trying to be wishy-washy or anything like that, what you're doing is you're seeking to give space for them to discern, right? To encourage their discernment with even the language that you're using. All right, second, don't force it, rather rest and listen. Uh, that you don't need to feel this pressure to like, oh, I gotta come up with something or I'm not close to God or whatever. Like, no, no, like sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. And so uh, even for myself, sometimes like, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go like, step into it internally. I have to kind of check myself and just go, hey God, I'm not gonna try and conjure anything up. I'm not gonna try and make anything. I just wanna rest back. And if you got something, would you just bring it? You know, you just kind of rest and listen. And if nothing, you just go, that's great. Hey, I'm not getting anything. Mm -hmm. uh, third is don't be weird. <laughs> don't be weird. Uh, you don't need to go into like a low spooky voice. Oh, the Lord is going to say hallelujah. You know, you don't need to like make yourself into someone that you're not all the other times of the day, right? Uh, be natural. One of our values, core values, cultural values here at Redemption is naturally supernatural. We believe that God is present in the mundane and the everyday and in who we actually just are. So you don't need to try and make yourself something weird or different that you're not. Just be natural. Uh, fourth, don't predict marriage or babies or those kind of things, right? Right? It's just not a good idea. If you do get something like that, I encourage it would be to pray for that person, you know, um, but not necessarily uh, tell them that. You know, my wife actually, the first time she saw me, God, God told her she was going to marry me someday, right? She didn't tell me that until after we got engaged. I was very thankful, right? It, it, it allowed the relationship to be natural, but she said it gave her the courage and confidence to actually say, yeah, when I, when I pursued and, you know, step in. And so, Anyways, we had a, on, on, on the baby's front, we had a friend, uh, two friends, it takes two, yeah, Sebastian and Catherine, right? <laughs> but uh, they had struggled with infertility for over a decade, and obviously it's really painful, really hard experience. If that's you, God, God sees you, God knows you, it's a hard experience. And I remember one morning, Holly woke up, and she's like, I had a dream, and God said he was going to give them a, a child this year, right? And so she's like, I'm not going to tell them, so, you know, that's, we, don't, we, don't, we don't do that, right? but she wrote it in her journal and we began praying for them that year. And by the end of the year, uh, their son Luke was born. And uh, when he was born, uh, I, you know, we got together with Sebastian and Catherine and we brought Holly's journal and we showed them, hey, back in January, dude, we felt like we got, we've been praying for you guys all year. And Sebastian's jaw dropped, he was like, dude, it was right around that same day <laughs> that God gave me the same word that this was coming this year, which was crazy. And so point there is just going like, sometimes the goal is not necessarily to tell the person, but to pray for the person. God, what do you want me to do with this? That 
this could actually cultivate us becoming a more prayerful people and praying for one another. All right, well, finally, last thing. You can have the guardrails, you can have the guidelines. What about the gas, right? The gas is what keeps you from sitting in the parking lot. <laughs> like, you don't wanna just stay in the driveway. We actually wanna get out and press in. And so for those of us who are comfortable with desiring and wanting, eagerly desiring to try and press into listening prayer like this, uh, what can we do to hit the gas and actually drive? Well, I'd give us three recommendations. The first is to pray, to ask. Jesus says to ask, to seek, to knock. Um, sometimes we don't experience stuff because God's not given it, but sometimes we, you have not because you ask not, right? And so I believe that we can become a prayerful people with an expectancy that last week, Jesus, uh, James, last week, Jake, sorry, Jake, did a great message on just how when we approach Scripture, that Jesus is on the other end of the table, right? And I would suggest the same as we approach prayer. That we approach prayer in a way where we're not praying to an empty seat. We're praying to Jesus who's on the throne and creating space to listen that he might speak back. Uh, one of my good buddies called me this week and he was like, a week, it was two or three weeks ago. But uh, my buddy called me and he was like, hey Josh, I just met with this guy that, I knew this other guy, he didn't. He's like, me and my wife met with him for lunch I kind of connected, so they sat down, and um, this guy just started speaking truth into life. He's like, dude, did you tell him? I was like, no. He's like, dude, this guy was just like reading our mail, knew all the stuff we've been going through the last few years and whatnot, and I was so encouraged, so built up. My wife and I, we just felt so encouraged and built up, and, um, and I asked him, like, how did you do that? How did you know? He's like, well, hey, just yesterday, I knew I was meeting with you today, so for the last day, I've just been praying throughout the day, just kind of going, God, you love them. How do you want to love, love them through me? How can I love them? Is there anything you would have for them? And, and he says, that's just his practice. When he's gonna meet with someone, he prays for them. And so number one, hit the gas, pray, ask for it. Uh, number two, it's just pursue holiness, right? Like it is the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we want the Spirit, but not the Holy, right? Like, like we want the power of God, but not the character of God. And I would encourage us to do some self-evaluation, go, man, God, um, is there any blockage in my life? Is there anything that might be uh, a sin or an idol or a thing? Um, and maybe not. Like maybe, dude, sometimes there's just different seasons of life where we're experiencing different things. But, but it's worth cultivating. Go, God, I want to pursue holiness so that whatever gifts you might want to bring through me, whatever that might look like, that I'm being conformed and aligned with your character and intimacy with you. So we pray, we pursue holiness. And the third and final one is just to practice. Right? Uh, I've often thought of this now as something like, uh, things like this is like a muscle, right? That when you first get to the gym, it's like, oh, this is awkward, it's hard. But as you work the muscle, you begin to feel it more. You understand how it works. You know, it's like, oh, over time, I think you can become more comfortable in discerning. Oh yeah, Jesus, when you speak, it feels like this. And when it's the enemy or just myself, or it, it tends to be like this, you know? Like, and so practice, work the muscle. Uh, with listening prayer. I love John Wimber, um, uh, someone who helped me think a lot through this in his books and teaching and all, but he says, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, right? That to practice, to actually step out and try. So we wanna be a community where it's okay to R-I-S-K, right? It's okay to risk to step out together and seek to grow in listening to the Spirit of God as we pursue Jesus, the Son of God, and Word of God together. 
two places that you can do this if you're interested. One is our renewal night coming up this Wednesday. We're going to be doing listening prayer. And so this is a chance to come, uh, and we're going to worship, and we're going to practice listening prayer together. And there will be people here to help guide and step into that. And so I would encourage you, come out this Wednesday. We can practice this together. Uh, Second thing is, in January, uh, we're going to have these groups launching that are going to be hearing how to hear God listening to the Spirit, listening to the Word, different groups coming out of this Word and Spirit season. So keep your eyes out for those in the new year. But big picture, let's eagerly desire the gifts the Spirit may want to give, not only to you, but through you, to build up the people of God. And as we come to the table this morning, as we come to the bread and the wine, we come to Jesus, the gift giver. Like if you are a follower of Jesus, this table is for you. And the one that we come to is the one who gave himself as the greatest gift, right? Like who gave his body given and his blood shed, represented in this wine and our juice and this bread, that we're coming to Jesus who is a gift giver, who ultimately gives us the gift of himself, his body and blood, and also gives us the gift of himself, his spirit. It's his spirit. It's his presence. presence. The goal in all this is to know the voice of Jesus and to draw closer to Jesus as his people. And so as we prepare to come to the table and to respond in worship, I want to guide us in some listening prayer uh, right now. And so I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And I I want to read some of these verses from this morning again from 1 Corinthians 14 over us. I just invite you to listen, whether there's something even personally for you that the Spirit of God might have for you today. So, Jesus, we come before you, the great gift giver, God. God, if there's gifts that you want to give, God, we don't want to leave them unwrapped and in the box, Lord. It's chapter 14, verse 1. You have said, Lord, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I want to take some time to listen and just ask God, um, are there gifts that we've left unopened? Is there a desire, even an eagerness, a zealousness that you would long to cultivate in us, Holy Spirit? Create some space and just listen. ask you might reveal are there bad experiences like the bunny suit but maybe more serious God things that ways some of those gifts have been misused by people Holy Spirit I pray that you would discern sort of the Aunt Clara from you as the good Heavenly Father God would you name and, and reveal maybe those experiences that have understandably caused us to be suspicious or hesitant to name those things, God, to come back to that phrase, eagerly desire. What is there? Got a posture that you want to cultivate in us, Jesus, towards expectancy of your presence with us and what you may even want to do in us and through us.
finally, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation, you've said, so that the church may be built up. Jesus, we desire to be built up as your people, God. God, is there any way that you might want to encourage and build up others? Would you draw to mind maybe a specific person, a person, a place, a thing, God, a, a person, God, in our church, in our relationship with God, that you may want to build up through us, Lord? Create space. If so, you may even want to send them a text message or something just to connect and talk later. Jesus, you are the great gift giver. We love you. We worship you. Thank you that you came at Christmas to bring us the great gift of yourself and you died on a cross and you rose again and you are ascended over all of heaven and earth with all authority and all power, God. And you've given us the greatest gift of yourself, your spirit, your presence, uniting us with you and life with you and the Father forever.